backroom politics. And good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live on Vlog Talk Radio. It is a expanded across the country type show today. I'm your host, Monterey Justin Russell, joining you from Houston, Texas. Joining me as they do every Tuesday from the greatest city in the world, at least in our opinion. New York City, she is the former attorney who then supported Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign in Ohio. She is the one we know as Sharmila Achari. Sharmila, how are you? I'm great. It's a snowy day in the Big Apple. Oh, snow. Gosh, it's like 72 degrees here in Houston. Uh, Feel bad for you. Hey, he is is the one-star admiral from your United States Navy. He is the man that we know as Admiral Ken Carradine. Admiral Ken, how are you? Uh, Hello, Justin, and uh, from a chilly Washington, D.C. It's cold here. Is it snowing there yet? Uh, No snow, thank goodness, but it's cold. It's cold. And... Joining us from, I believe, the Bay Area of San Francisco, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce who served at last count under four presidents, longtime Washington insider and longtime Senate staffer. He is the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hey, Justin. Hello, gang. I'm actually sitting on a porch in the Mission District of San Francisco, basking in the sunshine. Oh, that does not suck. That does not suck. I will tell you. It's yeah, it's, it's, yes, it does. It sucks it's mightily. It's not as good as being in Houston right now. Hey, we we have a short, abbreviated show today, but we have a lot to cover. So it is Tuesday, which means that something's happening in Washington, D.C. This happening happens to be President Trump's State of the Union address in front of a joint session of Congress. Uh, for those of you who don't know, last year when President Trump addressed the Joint Session of Congress, that was not technically a State of the Union because he didn't have a union for the past year to state about. Well, that has changed, and what a year it has been, and what a state of said union it is. Uh, according to the White House and several news reports, the president is going to focus on, on five key factors immigration, border security, taxes, infrastructure, and health care. We're going to discuss these areas. But here's the, I want to talk about the overarching uh, feel of the State of the Union. Uh, let me start with you, Admiral Ken. The, the president is obviously addressing this state or is making this State of the Union address uh, that will be televised by a more divided nation than we've seen in many lifetimes in this country. Is there an expectation that Donald Trump could, in fact, stay presidential, stick to message, and, and, and show some sort of attempt to bring the country back to unity? Um, my, my prediction is that we will see a replay of the uh, the previous um, uh, quote presidential unquote uh, performances by president by President Trump, I think that um, he will do a 
a, a marginally good job. You know what? I think I'll, I'll say this. I think you'll see. I think you'll do a good job. I think you'll do a pretty good job of um, uh, presenting his case uh, in a in a uh, in a presidential manner. Um, and I think that within three days after that, uh, after tonight, uh, there will be a tweet. Uh, there will be something else that'll pop up. Probably stuff around this this memo, and I assume we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, that will he will yep. use to basically completely undo anything uh, positive uh, that he could he could possibly do tonight. Um, I you know I, I I think if I remember last last year after that that speech, um, I called the taking the uh, the taking command uh, presentation. Uh, everybody made went on and went on and went on about how presidential he was, and this is the turn, uh, the pivot that we've been waiting for. And within three days, you know, it was it was back to uh, Trump as usual. And I, I think that's what's going to happen tonight. Sharma, is the expectation going off of what uh, Ken was saying? The expectation we're going to see a lot of jazz hands tonight, or is it, you know is it right to have an expectation that we might see some substance in policy? seeing as how they gave five very specific targets they're going to touch on. Well, I think that we'll do better than last year's, um, the last year's speech where he was very all over the place because you could see the hand of different advisors telling him diametrically opposite things, and he just put everything in, right? You saw him talking about multilateralism, which is clearly a nod to uh, the more globalist wing of his party, you know, H.R. McMaster and uh, Dina Powell, and then you had him talk a ton about America First, which is obviously a nod to Steve Bannon and Stephen Miller. Now I think you have a more streamlined policy team, and so I think his speech is going to be a lot more coherent. But, and, you know, I think, as, as Ken said, he'll probably, he'll probably stick to script. The stakes are pretty high for him tonight, given, you know, all the controversy about uh, the alleged tri- attempt to fire Bob Mueller and, um, you know, his alleged extra, extramarital activities. So I think that he will do a good job of sticking to strip tonight. I don't know that he's going to make any profound policy announcements. And I, again, agree with Ken that, you know, in three days, he'll undo any goodwill he built up with this speech by tweeting or saying something absurd. And and I guess I have to say for the first time in the history of the show, we have more people in San Francisco Bay Area than we do in the actual national capital region. Joining us from the Bay Area, he is – the former Joe Biden political advisor, and he is a bar certified attorney in the great state of Maryland and District of Columbia. He is Dan Lipner, Esquire. Daniel, good to have you. Good to be here. Daniel, let me go to you next. Going off of what Sharon was saying, I mean, is could the president help himself out? <clears throat> Excuse me, if he in fact brought out some key critical policy decisions instead of the usual rhetoric that comes out of the White House with him? Well, the problem is the rhetoric, with the exception of the being horrible to uh, the people in this country uh, with with questionable status, um, there is no substance. So even the stuff that he says has no backing behind it. So his infrastructure plan is nonsense and has no means of paying for it. Uh, his health care plan, that we're still waiting to see exactly what it is other than repeal. Um, his 
economic policy and trade policy or saving jobs policies have already been proven to be false, if not actually destructive to American jobs. So, I mean, other than if Trump chimes in and says, you know, the, the white stars and the flags are for losers, I'm going to change them to gold, I'm sort of not going to take anything he says seriously. Alan Moore, are we not giving the White House enough credit as far as understanding the gravity of the importance of this speech for Donald Trump at this time in his presidency? Well, (laughs) I think the White House is well aware that every national speech has importance, and and it contributed a year ago to... Uh, the president having a more measured, uh, uh, inclusive tone, at least in that speech. I'm very impressed, very impressed that Sharmila remembers the content of that speech because I sure don't. All I remembered was (laughs) that he sounded like we were hoping he would sound. And then as Ken accurately pointed out, and I think uh, accurately predicts, he undid it all within days uh, with tweets. Now, the man is learning a bit. He's learning slowly, horribly, frustratingly slowly. Um, so uh, each time uh, there's a there's a big event like this, I, I, I tend to agree with Ken that I, I think he'll I think he'll <laughs> expectations tend to run low, very low. So it, it's not hard to exceed expectations. Um, and, and again, the content isn't all that uh, important. Um, it, it matters some. It can't be idiotic, but it's not as though he's going to uh, to to start moving in a bunch of new directions that are that that any that will have any significant credibility. Um, but as as uh, as has been pointed out, he's likely to undo any good feeling, and it's sort of like Lucy and the football. You have expectations, but it always goes bad. Well, maybe one of these days it won't, but I don't think this is uh, is, is going to be it. Now, having said that, what we hear from Dan is a negative on anything and everything that has occurred. And um, <laughs> it's not 100% bad. Yeah, it's mostly bad, but it's not 100%. The economy is humming. The employment rate is is remarkably low given the the the, the, the general circumstances and, and those on trade on trade I don't, on trade i don't like uh, uh the rhetoric but um the people who are trying to uh navigate their way through this minefield are not uh complete idiots and are trying to figure out a way to uh, to create some changes around, in my judgment, around the margins um, in a way that can say, hey, we've improved things. Um, we haven't blown everything up. Um, so I, I, I do believe that the tone is important here. I think we're going to hear about bipartisanship, which is going to <laughs> get applause from the from the Republicans and laughter uh, from the Democrats is in, come on, let's be real. Um, and then I think he's going to be patting himself on the back for 
what the economy has done, he will try to link that in with the still uh, uh, generally unpopular uh, tax bill. But we've talked about the tax bill uh, significantly in the past. Right. And as, uh, as right. people's take-home pay starts to go up and pe- some bonuses are paid out, not right. to just a handful of people, but a lot of people, yeah, I think by the time we get to November, there will be a different take on how bad uh, the tax bill is, whether that'll convert to votes or not remains to be seen. No, let, let, let's go, or Sharon, let's go ahead first, because I'm going to go to you next. Go ahead. I'm sorry? Oh, thank you. Sharon? Yeah? Was there a question? Oh, thought, oh thought you had to chime in there. Um, <clears throat> but while I've got you on the hook, let me continue on. Sharon, you know, there's an almost desperate need for Americans to see, you know, we've seen him tap dance around almost being presidential, being somewhat presidential, actually being presidential in one instance or another. But at some point, the one thing we have not seen is anything directly tangible that the voters can grab onto and say, okay, this is better for me. Out of the five topics, immigration, border security, taxes, infrastructure, and health care, is there one that the president has an opportunity to hit a home run and if he misses, he's going to miss big? Well, I think Alan said it, which is uh, he's going to try to tie the tax cut to the to the economic boom, right? He's going to He's going to draw a direct line from the tax cut to the surge in the stock market. Stock market is the stock market is at historic highs. He's going to tie it, I'm sure, to any company. I believe Walmart said that they were going to increase the minimum wage, and they gave credit to the tax cut. He's going to tie that in and say, look, the tax cut is going to create jobs. It's helping raise wages. It's led the stock market to boom, the highest levels it's been in history. So I think that that's really the one area where he can have he has some tangible achievements to point to and I think in the rest it's going to be repeats of his campaign speeches and you know repeats of his his populist high notes Um, and I think one thing Justin that you noted which is interesting is that he manages to stay presidential when he doesn't have to take questions when you just give him a teleprompter and a speech he can stay presidential when there's any sort of questions or ad-libbing involved that's when he goes off the rails (laughs) <laughs> Admiral, can you agree? Uh, completely, um, and and I, I want to point it out that if if uh, if if the um, professional pundits are paying attention, if he does try to tie um, um, the success of Walmart uh, giving out bonuses to his tax cuts, I'm hoping that they're paying attention to the fact that Walmart's getting ready to lay off a bunch of people, mostly from the headquarters organization. On the back end of that, so um, but mention, I, I think not to mention Sam's Club. They shut yeah, down Sam's Club effectively. Absolutely, Sharma is right on target um, in that um, um, he he does pretty well when he's not taking questions. But boy, I tell you what, you know, just let let Trump be Trump, and that's when things get interesting. Dan Lipner, you know, we we sit there. You know, talking about the economics, looking at the other areas like immigration and border security, President Trump is obviously going to bring up the wall. He's going to bring up a uh, uh, he's going to bring up an increase for border protection by hiring more border patrol officers. 
the big question is regarding the Dreamers. It, that seems to be the factor that partially shut down government the other week uh, is a factor going forward, and they don't have a lot of time to focus on this. Is, is the expectation that we might hear something at least from the president that will give us direction on how we handle Dreamers? Um. I mean, we might hear it for a split second, but this is back to Ken's point that it's going to get all undone. So the fact that uh, the president has expressed sympathy and his love for uh, kids or whatever he referred to uh, the Dreamers as, uh, that all gets undone as soon as Stephen Miller walks in the room and other things uh, other things start, start percolating in, in his little mouth brain. Uh, the the question is whether or not he can actually find a way, and this is real politics now. I mean, to some extent, Chuck Schumer, who uh, ended up getting boxed in uh, from the left on the wall. I mean, as I've said on the show, I would make the trade for the wall in order to in order to get security for the Dreamers. Um, even though I think the wall is ridiculous, and I think most Americans think that the wall is ridiculous. But the fact that that uh, folks on on the hard left are wildly against the wall and are willing to sacrifice the dreamers uh, for that is horrendous. Um, but the problem is there's the far right that wants no part of the dreamers and wants the entire families deported, uh, whether or not the, the, any portion of the family was born in this country and thus is legally an American. So it, 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 it's a hard political balancing act that Trump has shown no ability nor desire to really engage in the intricacies and the delicacies of going in going into that issue in a meaningful way. So I suspect he'll say something nice and then we'll throw bombs immediately after the fact when somebody when he's pressed. But it, it, Alan Alan Moore though this is an opportunity to put some of these questions to bed. It wouldn't be the first time that a president has been able to drive a um, a policy message through the State of the Union. Is this White House that clever, or are we expecting too much? By- Alan? Alan? Needed a, ne- yeah, sorry about that. I have had <laughs> had to take it off mute. I was removing the uh, the, the street tra- <laughs> the street traffic, and uh, it had to put me back in. So sorry. Um, I'll try to remember the next time. Um, the uh, uh, the State of the Union in this instance, I think, as we've said, is going to be some some patting on the back and a call for bipartisanship, um, which. Uh, you know, it's better to call for it than not call for it. And it would be great if one could really be serious and deliver on it. Um, I, I, I'm not expecting, it, it, with the possible exception of something different on on infrastructure, um, anything sort of new. Uh, the, the the information that's out there so far is is very incomplete, not particularly encouraging. But I think we've we've not begun to hear the the. The, the last word on that because I think the president would still sees himself as the as the builder as the expert as the guy who could pull something together uh, on infrastructure slash jobs that 
that could make a, a significant difference. Um, I, I, I'm not optimistic, but I could. I, I think that would be the area that he might be trying to propose something new. With regard to immigration, I'm guessing he's going to say something like, um, we're making a lot of progress. I'm feeling good about the direction things are going. Um, we, uh, we, 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 we want to figure out how to take care of the dreamers, and we want to move forward on, on building the wall. It's been said many times. It's, it's ironic that we talk about about wall or no wall, as though there's one or there isn't one. We've got wall for hundreds of miles, fencing. We've got all kinds of different physical aspects down on the border, largely relating to what the needs are at a particular place. And there's a bunch of other areas where there's no, where there's nothing. Either it is so desolate and so unfriendly to people they don't cross, or we have water barriers like the Rio Grande, where there's there would it, a you don't need a, a a physical barrier particularly and if you did you you would have a big debate on which side it would go on unless you were going right. to put it right down in the middle so there, there there's it, it, it's sort of fun to say walls ridiculous got to have the wall a lot of thoughtful people have 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 said though and as 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 Dan who I don't always accuse of being thoughtful but I thought in this particular case he when he said. You, you don't want to not build a wall if if uh, if that's going to do harm to uh, a million or more uh, dreamers. Um, and I think the only, re- the only the reason that that what Dan says makes some sense is because we have so much of a physical barrier now. We're no longer talking about a two thousand mile quote wall that's twenty or thirty feet high, but but it's uh, five or six hundred miles that is identified as, as needing significant reinforcement. And then there's all sorts of electronic reinforcement and, and, and in increased uh, uh, personnel. So I think that, that the, the path for at least those two pieces, tougher security, including something that, that will allow the president to say, see, now we're building the wall um, and uh, sorting out the dreamers is, is is possible. Unfortunately, of course, it's not. It's not just those two things. There's the so-called chain migration, relatives of dreamers. What are their rights? Well, how many of them are there? How many dreamers are there? The numbers range from 700,000 up to uh, almost 2 million. So there, there's a whole host of of questions uh, uh, out there and then the broader immigration questions too. Well, I don't see him digging into all of that. I see him saying, making a lot of progress. I think he'll stay a lot of progress in figuring out how to handle the dreamers and at the same time, enhance security and, and proceed to building uh, the wall um, that lots of people are. I mean, there are frankly, not necessarily on this phone call, a lot of people who, who want, bigger physical barriers um, and who, who like this quote, the, the, the simplicity, if you will, of building a wall, right. uh, especially when they realize we've already got a lot of physical barriers that are pretty effective. Right. Unfortunately, physical barriers are not the only problem we have when we're trying to control immigration or uh, illegal um, drugs or other uh, uh, illegal contraband that comes across the border. Justin. Right. Yeah, go ahead, Admiral Ken. So two things. One, I am not willing to let um, candidate Trump off the hook. Uh, we're going to build a great, big, beautiful wall from coast to coast, and, and who's going to pay for it? Well, we know. 
and and I, I and I also am not willing to let him off the hook with regard to his expressed devotion to to the Dreamers, to the DACA kids. Um, I, I never understood um, the, um, the 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 counterintuitive nature of that of that position. But you know, there's a lot about the president that's counterintuitive that I don't understand. And the reason uh, right. there's nobody on this call who thinks a big physical barrier is a good idea is because there are no stupid people on this call. Right. Well, and the Admiral Ken Wise got on the line. You know, along those lines, uh, the uh, the the congressman from the great state. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the the uh, congressman from the uh, great state of Georgia, John Lewis. Uh, has announced that he will be skipping tonight's State of the Union. He will not be in attendance. Uh, first one in a long time. But he does call out the fact that it is due to the president's uh, tone and the messaging that comes out of the White House. Admiral Ken, do you agree with uh, Congressman Lewis? Who I do not. I mean, obviously has some standings. Uh, I, you do not. I, I, I do not. And he's not the only member of the Congressional Black Caucus that's decided to uh, to step away. Uh, I, I made a I made a tweet uh, uh, to to uh, to this point uh, the other day, and my point is this: you know they 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 love they love quoting um, Michelle Obama. Uh, when they go low, we go high. It's really easy to duck uh, in the face of um, I, I would call abject ignorance and stupidity. Whereas it's even tougher to go do your job. Your job is to be a representative of your state, and you can't be representing your state uh, sitting at home having a beer uh, while the president is 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 doing his job and and uh, and conducting the State of the Union address. I, I don't think it's a good idea. I don't endorse it. I don't think it's right, and I think it's 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 uh, it's it's dereliction of duty on their part. Charlotte, you agree? Well, I doubt either one is going to be having a beer, but I do see uh, Ken's point. I think that, you know, I think for someone like John Lewis, who's, you know, came up in this in this time of, you know, protest, um, I, I can I can certainly understand the um, the motive, the symbolic intent of skipping the State of the Union because I think that we need some people to still stand up for us. And while I agree with Ken that yes, attending this and representing your district in front of the president is part of your job. Part of your job is also also to stand up for what's morally right. And I think that it does make a strong statement to say, look, the way the president speaks, the rhetoric he uses is not morally right. We can't teach our children this. We can't pretend that this is okay. And so I think that when you look at it in that context, it it makes their abstention a lot more poignant. Very good, very good. Around the the horn... Around yeah, can I quick. just say something uh, on that? Yeah, real, real quick, Alan. Cares if people don't go. I don't care. It annoys me that for about the last month we get these periodic uh, statements from somebody. I'm not going. Oh, I didn't know you were there in in years past. People come, people go. It's fine to make a statement, but it seems to me if you want a statement, there are more significant, more meaningful ways than to simply stay home. So for me, it's not a big deal. I I tend to agree. I think you should go. I think, you you know, just because you don't like a person 
well, you don't even know what he's going to say, so it's not like you're, you're not sure about his message. You know enough about him and know you don't like him and you haven't heard him say much that you uh, took any confidence in or likes. That's not new, folks. That's not new. Right. Um, and uh, But if you're, if you're elected representative, I, I, I lean towards Ken. Go. Then talk to the press afterwards. If you want to make a symbolic gesture, you know, don't stand up, which has uh, been going on for for uh, for decades now. Um, and uh, I prefer if you don't cry out, uh, you lie, as a, a Republican congressman famously did once uh, uh, at, a, at a Barack Obama, at President Obama State of the Union. That didn't work out very well for him. He looked like a fool. So you got to be you got to be careful. Not showing up seems to me to right. be a, a borderline meaningless gesture. Right. Well, actually, I'm going to take a step further. Also, oh, go ahead, Dan. There's also a. This is actually to Alan's point, and as well as Ken's. There's also a lack of creativity. So Alan correctly points out nobody knows who's in the gallery or who isn't in the gallery. The entire membership of chambers plus the folks who are in the gallery. There's a lot of people in the room, and with the exception of the the pool cameras that look for the the either the the staying seated or the or the stern faces or rousing applause of specific people, nobody cares. However, imagine on the right. other hand if the CBC showed up early and made sure they sat in the first seats of those coveted aisle seats as the president comes down <laughs> and either and either remained seated when the president walks through or took a more a different approach, simply stood and turned their backs to him. If you want to make go something <laughs> symbolic that'll actually land a punch, that's gonna land a punch on every network across the country tonight. As opposed to yeah. a statement of I'm not going. Dan's right on target. Yeah. I, I kind of agree. Hey, real quickly, around the horn Yes or no, can we as an American electorate expect any major policy notations out of the State of the Union? I'll start with you, Sharmila Chari. Absolutely not. Dan Lipner. The only question is which foreign country he offends inadvertently during the speech. <laughs> Alan Moore. I don't think so. Admiral Ken? I have to agree with my colleagues on the call. I don't see anything big coming here. Wow. Wow. Zero expectation for this president's speech tonight. Okay. Uh, we're we're going to keep going because we are, again, just a reminder on an abbreviated version of this show's today, only going to be one hour. We're going to have plenty to talk about next week as we review the State of the Union speech next week. But as far as going forward, it's two other big stories well, there's several big stories coming out of Washington, D.C., but there's two big stories that we're following right now. Uh, number one is the announcement last night that the number two at the FBI, uh, Assistant Director Andrew McCabe, has announced his resignation from the Bureau. Uh, this follows weeks of mounting pressure on uh, Director Ray and his Bureau to kind of separate themselves from Assistant Director McCabe, 
who, by the way, has been a loyal special agent, a loyal mm-hmm. member of the Bureau, and a loyal member of the federal government, the Department of Justice, uh, and the Administrative Office of the U.S. Attorney, um, he was being pushed out for political reasons by all accounts. Uh, Admiral Ken, do you agree that this was a political maneuver as opposed to a disciplinary move that needed to revamp morale at the FBI? This is absolutely political, and and and, um, and uh, if, if there's a little backstory in that uh, when um, McCabe was directed to uh, well, when Comey was fired, uh, McCabe received a subsequent phone call from the president. Uh, wanting to know why he allowed a non-FBI person to fly on an FBI plane. And um, there was allegedly uh, an interaction between, further interaction between McCabe and the president, where the president made some derogatory comments about McCabe's wife. Um, McCabe, you know, I think has conducted himself um, as an honorable and um, um, upright public servant. Uh, I have to admit that if I had been in that same situation, the president might have gotten to meet Sailor Ken over the phone. And um, so uh, I, I, I think I think that this is this is definitely a political act. Uh, this is more house cleaning pushed on the part of the president to shape the FBI into something that he can live with versus the animal that it uh, that that uh, it appears to be right now. And that's unfortunate because I think in doing that. Um, one, he is he is really doing the FBI and the hardworking people that Justin, you and I both know uh, personally that work over there uh, from 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 doing right. the job they need to do. Uh, secondly, uh, I think it it there's it makes me uncomfortable constitutionally um, that um, the the president can act in a way that appears to um, uh, isolate himself from from uh, from from serious inquiry on the part of the best law enforcement agency in the world. And I was kind of sad to see, to see McCabe go. Uh, there was a congressman on, uh, on CNN this morning, I can't remember who it was right now, who, who hinted around that there was an IG-related uh, issue that, was, that, that forced McCabe out. Uh, um, ultimately, uh, I guess it remains to be seen if that's going to be the case or not, because we both know in Washington, D.C., there are no such things as secrets, just things you don't know yet. And, and Alan Moore, you know, uh, kind of along those lines, there's speculation that Andrew McCabe saw himself as a distraction from the Mueller investigation and the investigations going on in the hell, and that he may have stolen his sword for this. Uh, was McCabe... A big enough factor for that if he did fall on the sword for this, there's a martyrdom politically for him. Well, so so uh, yes, um, and it, it wouldn't necessarily have been so had the president not, in effect, by attacking him along with the entire FBI, which is grotesquely offensive, uh, as as Kim uh, accurately said. Um, uh, the president elevated him and then went after him and basically d- drove him from office. What was interesting, to, and, and, I, and I think that's really unfortunate, maybe McCabe's not the right guy, but it should not be the president or a couple of people around him who make that decision. It should be the Justice Department and the head of the FBI who come together and say, yeah, let's, uh, 
let's make a let's make a change, and not because the guy had a, a, a is married to a woman who had a losing campaign for a Democratic seat in the Senate of the state of Virginia. Anyway, um, uh, that <laughs> that in and of itself is not enough, and for the president to pick on and use his bully pulpit to pick on a person is really offensive and really frightening because who might be next? Having said that, McCabe let it be known some time back, as in months ago, that he was going to leave in March because he wanted to wait. He thought, okay, I'm done here. I want to maximize my federal pension benefits. That will occur in March. So I'm done in March. So let's leave it alone. Let him go in March. Why leave at the end of January? There's a part of me that wonders whether he didn't say, you know, rather than just slip away quietly in March, maybe I'll make a splash by saying I'm stepping aside. He's not leaving the government. He's not leaving the FBI until March. So he's going to get those benefits that he wanted, but but for whatever reason, he appears to have made the decision. And 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 yes, he he'll become uh, somewhat martyred. He was already somewhat martyred. And, uh, this just brought him into yeah. the public eye, and he knew that. Al, let me jump in real quick because now the Washington Post is reporting that a Department of Justice watchdog group is focusing on McCabe's role in the Clinton email, specifically questioning the timing of McCabe's responses to. Uh, or why did he wait to act on the reports of the Clinton email fiasco? Uh, that does that muddy the waters a little bit, or is this just uh, is this just more rhetoric? After going we after don't McCabe, know what we, we don't we we don't know what we don't know, and is it may be that there's more stuff that creeps out that that. Uh, McCabe will be attacked on or will have trouble defending. I'm not defending the guy blindly. I just hate to see a president come after a guy. If the guy is behaving that badly, in a, uh, then then let's get him out of there through the normal process, not by bullying from the president of the United States, who should have better things to do. Absolutely. The, um, the, the question now comes up is, Sharmila, how does, a, how does the law and order president just objectively go after the top law enforcement agency in the country and attack the ones that he swore he would protect? Because nothing... Donald Trump says means anything, and it certainly doesn't mean what he says. When he says law and order, he means imposing law and order against brown and black people. He doesn't mean imposing, you know, safeguarding the appropriate checks and balances to make sure I don't abuse my power. That's not the meaning of law and order to him at all. And so he's happy to he's happy to praise law enforcement officials who agree with his worldview, like Sheriff Joe Arpaio, and you know any any. Um, any uh, law enforcement group that that supports his agenda, but that doesn't extend to just protecting and preserving the integrity of the law enforcement function of the U.S. government. Those are two different things. Is is, is this a situation, Dan Littner, where uh, 
you know, the, the, the president who backs law enforcement all day long is going to push the envelope too much on the bureau that this will backfire on him? Well, it's worth noting he doesn't back law enforcement all day long. He, he backs people in uniform that he thinks back him. Anytime anyone pushes back on him, they're no longer his ally. And obviously everything they do is horrible. So even even the question I find problematic, suggesting that he's really law and order. Everything about Donald Trump is all stick and no carrot, and that stick doesn't have much behind it. So show me anything that he's truly been faithful to. And I mean anything that he's truly been faithful to. I'm not talking about his wives. I'm talking about any sign of integrity <laughs> On anything, there is nothing. He's not faithful to, to his kids. He's not faithful to people in office. He's not faithful to his allies. He's not faithful in business. Tell me something that he is truly faithful to, and we'll go from there. But thus far, I see nothing other than faithful to himself. Uh, Admiral Ken, with that kind of... Uh, with that kind of conflict between being the law and order president and then just on a whim taking out the FBI, uh, the, the question becomes now is, does all of this feed into uh, Robert Mueller's investigation? I mean, are, are we starting to see something that the president just can't help himself but to get himself into trouble? Um. You know, here's the thing, and I and I've said this before. Um, you know, for for a person who 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 says that there's nothing there, no collusion, um, um, you know, he, he goes out of his way to uh, to blow himself up on a on an almost monthly basis. Uh, there's been just all kinds of things. I mean, and and when you look at the fact that you know. Um, uh, Mike Flynn um, and um, the uh, Papadopoulos, um, you know, the, if there's nothing there, then why why are these people, you know, uh, charged with crimes and and, and pleaded guilty? Um, I, I I think there's there's probably something there, but you know what what I I have to caution people to to, to remember is the fact that the the special counsel. Will make his report to uh, Congress and to uh, the Attorney General. Uh, even if there's been a crime committed, um, he can't, you know, produce an indictment. As I understand things, only Congress can. And so, you know, will will Donald Trump be convicted in the court of public opinion? You know, that that's the real question. Is there going to be enough there? Um, because I, you know, honestly think that there's probably something there with, with so many people, you know, uh, uh, fessing up to avoid going to jail. Um, is there going to be enough to basically push him into doing something dramatic, uh, like leaving office? I, I don't know, uh, but I, you know, I, I have to believe that there's, at this point there's something there, uh, and um, and I, I'm hoping that we're, that we're 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 close to figuring out what it is. All right. Hey, uh, we got 15, 15 minutes left in this abbreviated show. I, I, we cannot go on without talking about the House Intel Committee yesterday. <clears throat> For those who do not know, 
the yesterday evening, the House Intel Committee, Intelligence Committee, uh, under the purview of Chairman Devin Nunez out of California, voted along party lines to release a classified memo, which is basically a classified FISA warrant application related to the Trump-Russia investigation. They decided that they're going to release this classified document against the judgment and against the approval, or rather against the uh, explicit uh, warning against doing so from the Department of Justice. Uh, the classified memo has been sent over to the White House uh, for review, and the uh, Intelligence Committee has given the White House five days to review to decide on the release of this secret memo is either a violation of national security or just some political piece of fodder. Uh, it seems to me, Admiral Ken, that we are playing a very dangerous game with national security when we start politicizing these types of class of, uh, these types of documents that hold classified information. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, let, you know, taking a look at the FISA warrant process. Um, so, you know, something right around, I, I want to, and, and Dan, if you're on the line, I hope you can correct me if I'm off on this number. Somewhere right around 10,000 of those warrants have been issued um, with, you know, with, with uh, only about, uh, um, I, I guess, a fraction of them being rejected. When they go forward, um, they have to go forward based on real evidence. Uh, and that real evidence cannot stem from some sort of debunked um, uh, dossier. I mean, there has been real documented evidence. And that evidence comes through uh, intelligence methods uh, and procedures that don't stay effective very well if you publicize how you use them. And so the decision to publish information that stems from that type of um, um, that type of, um, I guess, process stands a very, very good chance of – it could even get people killed. Uh, you know, being, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic here, but it really could uh, because sometimes intelligence comes through, the, through, the, uh, through spies uh, versus uh, through electronic means. Um, and so the decision to do this uh, just to make sure that we point out the fact that FBI agents, just like IRS agents, just like everybody on this call, has got have got some you know got some some predilections toward what they see and what they hear. They either like it or they don't like it. Okay, so they're human, and they might express some concerns you know to colleagues or to friends through the through an email or through a joke. Um, I mean, you know, a couple of you've gotten gotten things from me over the years. That doesn't mean that they're not capable of doing their job, and it certainly doesn't justify. Uh, putting this type of risk on the system, and and I, I'm I'm really really amazed that we're living in a world now where the president of the United States is so concerned about how he looks that he's willing to do this. Alan Moore, you served on on Senate committees for a good number of years during your time here in Washington. Uh, we all know that uh, each committee is assigned a, a lawyer. Are you surprised that uh, committee counsel, both majority and minority, would, if just one of them, would allow 
the committee to release classified information this willy-nilly, if you will? Well, so there's two things here. One, um, I hate that the House Intelligence Committee has uh, got a fractured uh, partisan uh, process that has has been in existence for the last year. Um, The Intelligence Committees historically, even as partisanship tended to uh, increase, not in every committee and more so in the House than in the Senate, and that, that, that has a lot of historical reasons, but the intelligence committees tended to operate um, uh, uh, generally on a on a on a more partisan on, on a more bipartisan basis than most. The fact that this one has split concerning to me, so I I, I don't like that. Two, how, having said that, I don't want to say that all of the Republicans who said yes, let's release this, are just totally marching in in lockstep to the to the uh, uh, to, to Chairman Nunez who has a few problems of his own um, uh, in terms of having to take himself out of the, the, uh, the Russia investigation uh, early on. So I take a little bit of comfort from the fact that, that I think these guys, much as it's, it's fun to just uh, uh, paint them with a one broad, nasty, ugly, stupid head brush, um, uh, are, are, are smarter and more thoughtful than, than, uh, uh, than the media and often the public gives them credit for but finally, on this one, the White House makes the final call. Now, they might not like the fact that they're in this position. We understand it's been reported that the Justice Department is pushing back against this. And so <laughs> here's the president. He's got to be – I'm sure he's getting a briefing. Here's what's in this thing. Uh, here's why it's a good here, – here, here's the arguments in favor of releasing. Here's the arguments uh, opposed. Here are our recommendations. So – I'm not going to get too far out here until we know if it's going to get released. And then if it does, which I tend to doubt myself, frankly, but if, if it gets released, my hunch is it won't be nearly as, uh, uh, as provocative as this whole uh, procedure um, is, is making it look. But maybe I just have my Pollyanna hat on again, and it's going to be, of course he's going to release it, and of course it's going to let out a bunch of, of, of secrets, and of course a bunch of people are going to die, and how could we do that? I don't see that happening. Sure, I mean, there's also a, a, an ethical question here. Uh, you know, if, if Congress, which does provide oversight to the intelligence community, if, if, if Congress starts making decisions like, you know, we're going to release it, we'll get it green, we'll get it red acted or get it released officially by the president, but we're going to make the decision to release this. Are we, are we playing on a slippery slope with that as far as the balance of power and the, the powers actually issued to and the ability for the intelligence community to do its mission? Well, I think it speaks I actually think this could have been a fine example of the balance of powers, but I think it speaks to the sort of spinelessness and the um, of the of congressional Republicans to stand up to the president and actually speak up for the rule of law, right? If Congress functioned the way it should with bipartisan agreement and you know without all these votes on partisan lines, you might not have seen the release of this memo, or maybe if there was merit to it, you would have seen Democrats support the release of this memo, and that would have been, and that I think was a proper exercise of 
the congressional check on executive power. But that's not what you're seeing with this Congress. You are just seeing congressional Republicans cravenly bent to the president's will because they're afraid of his, I mean, now dropping political stature, but because they're just afraid of taking him off. Wow. Just bottom line just remember, here, it has, on, remember, actually, it has I, not there's, yet there's, been released. It has not been, well, been. Next week we can talk about how the president decided or what he decided. It hasn't been done yet. He's in a – I'm not defending the, 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 the House action, as I said, but the, we, we don't know how this comes out. Correct. Now, if the White true. House was smart, if this White House was smart, and that's a big if and a probably not, they could have it actually both ways in this case. Because if you all recall, Diane Feinstein, uh, was it last week or the week before, releasing testimony uh, against Grassley's wishes for the, from one of the Senate committees. Um, this could be a shot across the bow from the other side of the Capitol building saying, look, this is how we do it. So if the White House says, no, it shouldn't be released, we trust the, intel com- we trust the intelligence community to make this decision, or – they could have it if they do choose to release it. They could say, look what the Democrats did. They could actually swing this both ways. But I don't think they're that bright, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah I think that's a bad parallel. I think that's a – Feinstein later apologized to Grassley for doing it. It wasn't the full committee. There was a, a, a lot of differences there, and she was in the minority. Anyway. Correct, correct. Hey, bottom line, as we close out this uh, – uh, this abbreviated State of the Union uh, edition of Backroom Politics. I want to go to each of you, and I want to ask you guys a question. What are, for the State of the Union tonight for the President, what are you hoping to see? What are your expectations? Starting with you, Dan Lipner. I mean, I, don't, I really don't have expectations of this President. I'm just hoping he manages to get through it without embarrassing the country too much. That's the only expectation or wish I can have from it. Admiral Ken. In a rare show of solidarity with my friend Dan, who's really interestingly on the left coast as I do this, I got to go with Dan. (laughs) (laughs) Sean Wachari? I again have very low expectations, but um, I, I do hope that the president potentially puts forth some sort of bipartisan proposal around the Dreamers. Uh, Alan Moore. So, yeah, there, I think Sharmila makes the important distinction between hope and expectation. So expectations all around the table are, are pretty low because we have history, and even if it's a good speech, we know he'll undo it. Uh, hopes, though, we can always hold, have those so I, I'm, I'm hoping and predicting that he'll talk about bipartisanship. I'm also hoping that on the international uh, scene, he expands on uh, uh, some remarks uh, he made on his recent trip um, in which he basically said, don't be threatened by the notion of America first. America first is we believe 
in the interest of everyone. And I think there's a lot of, again, we've talked about that in the past where I've said we've never had a president in the history of the country who didn't say, you know, and have the view that America first. Having said that, they didn't know that lead didn't lead them all to the same conclusions. You can talk about protecting our own people and our own people's interests, but we want to do so in a way that's cooperative, thoughtful, where we can all benefit. And I'd like to see some of that. Right. Very good. We'll hear some of that. No, good points all. Good points all. All right, listen, on this abbreviated edition of Backroom Politics, on behalf of Charlotte Sharp, uh, Alan Moore, Admiral Ken Carradine, and Dan Littner Esquire, I'm your moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next week live on Blonde Talk Radio for the best political talk show you've never heard of live from the National Capital Region. You can always catch us on Facebook at facebook.com slash backroompoliticsradio. You can catch us on Twitter at backroompolitics. You can also email me your questions and concerns, justin at backroompolitics.org. Until next time, enjoy the State of the Union. Hope the State of the Union is strong after this, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye, America. This is Backroom Politics.